0: So, who is in control? That's a question that's asked very early in a lot of families. In fact, if you have a two-year-old in the house, that question is trying to be answered. Sometimes, if you have a teenager in the house, the question is trying to be answered. Who's in control? There was a documentary last year in 2023. Is your brain controlling you, or are you controlling your brain? Forbes magazine had an article, is technology in control or are humans in control? Who is in control of Congress, of the Senate and the House of Representatives? This past week on Capitol Hill there were hearings. Who controls social media, they were asking? Who controls the Internet? Survey in 2021, a majority of of citizens, 61% believes a group of powerful people control the entire world. Who's in control in Gaza? Who's in control in Ukraine? Everybody's wanting to know who is in control. Now, as we approach the middle of the book of Acts, almost halfway there, that's the question that is wanting to be answered and needing to be answered. You see, the gospel is spreading through the known Roman Empire. The fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, and whenever we receive him as Savior and Lord, and he comes into our life, changes our life, and we submit to him, that word, that gospel was changing the empire, and authorities were trying to control it and trying to stop it. So we reach chapter 12. The question is who's in charge? Read with me, starting in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Look at verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. I want us to see this story this morning and how it unfolds in answering the question in chapter 12, who's in charge so let's begin first of all, number one, with Herod's violence, verses one through five. As chapter 12 opens and our story picks up, the Bible tells us that Herod Agrippa is in control of Israel. Now, you may not know Herod Agrippa, but I think you've heard of his granddaddy. His grandfather was Herod the Great. Now, Herod is not a name, it's a title. Herod Agrippa, kind of like saying President Biden or President, uh, you know, we many have other presidents in the past. It's a title. So, Herod the Great was the great king. And he's the one, whenever Jesus was born, that was paranoid and he heard the wise men come and say, There's a new king born. He's going, Whoa, boy, a new king, someone attack my throne. And he, he massacred every child two years of age and under every boy. So, you remember his story. Well, His grandson is Herod Agrippa in chapter 12 of Acts. Now, a little bit about how he got there. Herod the Great, extremely paranoid, the time of Jesus and early in the New Testament, he thought everybody was out to take his kingdom. So, if they were a threat in any way, chopped your head off. He killed his mother-in-law. That maybe wasn't politically motivated, I don't know, but, but then there were, he killed everybody else. If they were going to take his throne, he, he executed them. So he got word that his son, uh, secretly waiting for dad to die so he could have his throne, so he killed his son. And his son's son, which would be his grandson, a little Agrippa, Herod's wife grabbed Agrippa because he knew that she knew that he was next. Grabbed little Agrippa and took off and went into hiding so Herod could not find little Agrippa. Eventually Herod the Great died and as Herod Agrippa was growing up he befriended a man by the name of Claudius. Claudius later on actually became the Roman emperor. After Caligula was assassinated, Claudius took the throne. And so Claudius and little Agrippa, he's not little now, he's grown up, they're best friends. And so Claudius wants to repay Agrippa for his loyalty to him through the years. And so he gives him a piece of the Roman Empire to rule over. It was Israel. So as chapter 12 opens... Herod Agrippa is in charge of Israel. Now, Agrippa wasn't Jewish. He was Roman. But he wanted so badly for the Jews to like him. He wanted everything to go well in the country, and there'd be no rebellion or uprising, and everybody's happy. Because you see, if everybody's happy in Israel, it looks good on Agrippa, and Agrippa can prove to Claudius and others that I am worthy of having more than just Israel. You can can put me in charge of it. And so he wanted so desperately for the Jews to like him. So he moved to Jerusalem. I'm one of you, he says. And the Mishnah records that he would observe the Jewish festivals and holidays with them to curry their favor. And he would read from the Torah. Oh, they loved that. And so he'd read from the Torah publicly, and he even blessed the people from the Old Testament in the name of God. They loved it. And they loved Agrippa because he was currying favor with the Jews. It worked. They loved him. So whatever the Jews liked, Agrippa liked. Whatever the Jews hated, Agrippa hated. Well, we get to chapter 12, and the Jews are hating this small fringe movement that's beginning to infiltrate followers of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, Jews didn't like that, them or him because they felt like he was a blasphemer. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Messiah. And he's not, they said. So the Jews hated Jesus and hated Christianity. And so therefore, Agri- Agrippa, I'm against them as well. So as verse 1 opens of chapter 12, it says, Herod, wanting to please the Jews, laid violent hands on the church of God. And he arrested one of Jesus' disciples by the name of James. He had him executed. With the sword. This is the only time one of Jesus' twelve disciples' death is recorded in Scripture. Only one of the twelve, other than Judas, that were told how he died. Now, this is just a side note. We're not told this in the Bible. But I find it interesting. Eusebius of Caesarea, bishop of Caesarea, wrote Church History during that time. Um, work called Church History, and he recorded that tradition says that whenever Herod Agrippa arrested James, the guard, the Roman guard who was guarding James, had been so taken with the spirit of James and the message of James, and how he went about dying, and how he stood boldly for his faith, that the Roman guard turned in his uniform and sided with James. And they executed both of them together. That's what Eusebius says. Now, we don't know. That's what Eusebius says. But whenever they executed James, Herod did, they, the Jews loved it. Oh, thank you so much. You're going along with us in that fringe movement over there. They executed James, and the people applauded. And Herod, Agrippa, got just drunk with power. Herod's in control. And so he thought, I'll arrest another one of the disciples and kill them. Someone more prominent than James. How about Peter? I'll kill Peter. They'll really love me. So he arrested Peter, put him in prison, but there was a problem. He arrested him during a Jewish festival called Unleavened Bread. He couldn't execute him during Unleavened Bread. That was a holy time and no bloodshed. And so he's thinking, okay, okay, I'll I'll wait till the Jewish festival's over. I'll keep him in prison until then, and then I'll kill him. Perfect. So he arrested Peter, put him in prison, and waited till the festival was over. Now, Peter had already escaped prison once, chapter 5, seven chapters ago. Religious authorities arrested him, put him in jail, and an angel of the Lord appeared in the night and unlocked the jail, and Peter walked free. And so Herod Agrippa says, ah, it's not going to happen on my watch. And so he arrested Peter, put him in jail, and usually, usually, when you have a prisoner, you had one guard, and the guard would chain his left wrist to the right wrist of the prisoner. That way the guard, mostly being right-handed, could do things right-handed and not be constrained. And so usually left wrist to the prisoner's right wrist. But not with Peter. What they did with Peter was Agrippa put him in jail and put one guard on the right wrist and one guard on the left wrist and then two more guards at the entrance of the jail cell we got four and they would rotate every six hours nobody's getting in there to let peter out because herod is in control but we're told the church of god began to pray for peter pray for his release because you see Herod had the power of Rome. Church had the power of God. Prisons and chains and guards have never been a problem for God, nor are your problems. And Church of God, begin earnestly to pray. Church, have you ever considered how powerful it is when you gather to pray? Or is it just something you, well, we start the service of the prayer and about halfway through we've done another prayer and then we end with a prayer because that's what we do or because prayer is powerful. So, go to number two on your outline, Peter's release, verses 6 through 19. So there is Peter waiting for the Feast of Unleavened Bread to be over. Chained to a guard, chained to a guard, two guards out front. There he is, most likely at a place known as Antonio's Fortress. That is a place that uh, some of you have been to. It's where they arrested Jesus and took him downstairs to begin the beatings and the trials. It's on the north and western wall of the old temple. So there he is. He's in prison. And the Bible tells us that Herod was planning to execute Peter the next day because tomorrow morning is when the feast is over. And it tells us the night before Peter was sleeping. Okay, hold on just a second. He's going to be executed in the morning and he's asleep. Shouldn't he be worried? Shouldn't he be up all night? I mean he's got time to he's got time to sleep when he's dead, right? I mean shouldn't he be worried? He's asleep with his execution hours away. How do you do that? Trust in God. Peter had no anxiety. He had a history of sleeping when he shouldn't. If you go back to Matthew 26, you remember going to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Jesus praying great drops of blood to the ground. And he tells Peter and James, and John, you walk, wait right here and watch and pray with me. And he goes back and they're sleep. Peter, he, he didn't have insomnia, did he? I mean, he slept all the time. And he's asleep when his life's on the line. So it's the middle of the night, early morning. Guards are probably asleep. Everybody's sleeping, and Peter's sleeping. And the Bible says an angel of the Lord appeared in the jail cell and stood beside Peter, and a light shone in the cell. The angel looked at Peter and says, Peter. Peter. Nothing. Peter. The angel poked him. We know that because the Bible says gently smote him. That means poke. Peter! What, what, get up! And as soon as he said, get up, his chains fell off. They were, he didn't unloose them. They fell. And Peter, what? what what's going on? Peter, get up. Get dressed. Your sandals on, put your cloak tied around you, follow me. Let's go. And Peter, according to scripture, thought he was dreaming. I'm seeing things, there's an angel standing there, my change are gone. I'm dreaming I'm free. Now, he had already had a dream two chapters earlier, if you remember, chapter 10, of the sheep coming down and animals on it, saying, Gentiles can be saved, they're not unclean. And so he had a vision too, for chapters earlier. And he's going, "Is this another vision?" It was the power of prayer. That church was praying for his release. There was power in prayer. Thomas Watson, the old Puritan preacher preaching on this passage one Sunday morning and he said it was the angel of the Lord that fetched Peter out of prison but it was the church of God that prayed to fetch the angel. The angel led Peter past two guards that were asleep. You can see them getting by them. And they reached two other guards at the entrance. And the Bible said they walked past the other guards. Now, were they asleep? We don't know. Did, did God just blind them to what's going on? We don't know. They walk past the other two, and they get to the main gate going into the prison and the main gate going out to the street, and it's an iron gate. It takes several men to move it, and it's just Peter and the angel. And as soon as they walked up to the gate, According to Scripture, the gate opened by itself. The word in Greek that's used is the word automatos. We get the word automatic from that word. It opened by itself. Now, we have gates that do that today. They didn't then. The gate opened. Who's in control? It's not Herod. And Peter and the angel walked out. As soon as they got past the gate into the street, the angel poof disappeared. Peter standing by himself and thought, "Wow, that's not a dream. I really am I'm out in the street." Well, the only place that he knew to go was where the church was praying. They were praying all night. They had an all-night prayer meeting in the home of Mary. Mary was the sister of Barnabas. mother of John Mark now just as a side note just just going just for a moment Mary owned her own home why was that unusual if you remember earlier in the book of Acts the Bible said they sold everything and had all things in common Barnabas sold his land sold his house but this also shows us that some of them not all of them sold everything Mary kept her house and it became the headquarters for the church in chapter 12. And so Mary's home, they all gathered, they're praying all night prayer meeting for Peter because he's going to be executed in the morning. Their praying would stop. So he thought, I'll go say hello to them. It worked. So he walked to Mary's house and knocked on the door. They're praying, and so one of the servant girls named Rhoda, she jumped up, heard somebody at the door, it's 3 a.m., who's at the door? So she runs to the door, and before she can open it, she heard Peter's voice on the other side. We don't know what he was saying, we don't know if it's hey, it's me, Peter, or if he's saying, uh, prayer meeting's still going on, or hey, I want you to know I got, we don't know. He, she heard his voice, but so she didn't open the door, and she ran back to the praying group, she said, hey, guess what, the prayers work. They're going, shh, we're praying for Peter. And she said, "No, no, you know, wait a minute. He's he's at the door. Be quiet. We're praying for Peter. Shh. We're praying to be released. He's released. He's at the door. Shh." And the group praying thought Rhoda was in Greek "menomai," which means crazy you out of your head, Rhoda. Stop it. It's early in the morning. You're hallucinating. No, no. And she goes back, and Peter keeps knocking, the Bible says, and is insistent. And she goes back, no, 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 it's Peter. It's Peter. Shh. And then it says, one of them said, it's, it's his angel. What do they mean? Jews believed in guardian angels. And they believed that your guardian angel looked like you. So they're going, it's his guardian angel. He's in prison. We're praying for him to get out. No, no, it's Peter. No, it's his angel. It's him. Finally, finally, Rhoda convinced them to get up and go to the door where Peter's still knocking. They open the door and they go, oh, it is Peter. And the Bible says they were amazed. Peter, who knew? The prayer worked. Now, folks, hold on for a second. The church was faithful to pray, but they had no faith. They prayed, they just didn't think God was going to answer. We do the same. How do you know we do the same? You've told me. Pastor, my husband's not a believer, and I pray every day for him, but he's not going to change. So wait a minute. You're praying, but you have no faith. Pastor, I'm I'm praying for my marriage, but you know, my my wife, I I know what she's like. I'm praying every day, but nothing's going to change. Okay, you're praying every day, but you have no faith. Pastor, our son, I'm praying for him. He gets on drugs. And you know, once you get on drugs, there's really nothing you do. They're just, they're, they're lost. But I'm praying every day God would bring him off of those and change him, but it, uh, it's not going to work. Okay, you're praying, but you have no faith. Do you really believe God can do anything? Oh, it's easy to say amen in church, but what about your statements like that? And here's a church Believed in prayer enough to do it all night. But when Peter's at the door, (gasps) they're shocked. So Peter slipped in the door and motioned for them to be quiet. And he described how everything happened. I said, i sleep in the, of the line. I had two guards. And this angel appears and woke me up, poked me in the side. And I woke me up. And, you know, I, I got out and the door just opened and described everything that happened. And they're listening intently. And he says, Now go tell all this to James. Wait a minute, I thought, James is dead. No, James is a brother of Jesus, another James. James is a common name. Go tell James and the other brothers, I'm going to go to another place. The Bible says, Peter departed. By the way, it's the last time Luke records Peter departs. Meanwhile, the sun rises, and Herod Agrippa realizes that Peter's gone, and he's furious. Oh, he was so angry, and the Bible says there was no small disturbance the next morning. That's in the good way of saying everything it was chaos. He went into the jail cell and looked and said, this is no angel of the Lord. This is an inside job. Those two guards, they were in on it and they turned loose. And they really secretly, they, they favored Peter and the two guards out front execute all four of them. And every one four of them got their heads cut off. Because Herod Agrippa thought it was an inside job. Who's in control? Herod's back in control. He's embarrassed before the Jews. So he, he leaves and goes to his summer residence, leaves Jerusalem. He had a summer residence. Some of you have been there, by the way. It's called Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea by the Sea. It's beautiful on the Mediterranean coast, and his granddad built it, but he lived there some. So he left Jerusalem and went to Caesarea Maritima just to get away, clear his head. He's embarrassed and he's angry. He just gets away to his summer home. When if you go to number three on the outline, they're Herod's pride. So there he is in Caesarea, stewing about what happened, embarrassed in front of the Jews. And the Bible records something else that happened. Just north of Caesarea Maritima, there's Tyre and Sidon. They're Phoenician cities. They're part of the Roman Empire, but they're not under Agrippa's jurisdiction. So, Tyre and Sidon and the residents there and Agrippa had this running feud back and forth. They didn't like each other. And they had this running feud that the Greek implies violent words. And so they had harsh words back and forth and just stopped talking to one another. But Tyre and Sidon had a problem because it's a beautiful seaport, but they don't have any land to grow crops. They're getting hungry. So they're thinking, what do we do? Well, Agrippa, they're in northern Israel, just a few miles from us, really. They have fruit and crops and grain and wheat, and they, you name it. Now, it's also done in Egypt, but boy, it's a long ways down. Okay, let's just save face, and let's apologize to Herod Agrippa. Tell him we're sorry. Tell him what a wonderful man he is, and he'll give us some food. So they were going to go to Agrippa, but he wasn't speaking to them. So the residents of Tyre and Sidon go to Agrippa's assistant by the name of Blastus, we're told, and said, look, um, you know, Agrippa's not talking to us. We're getting hungry. We need some food. Would he give us some from, from the Galilee region? Um, well, he's not talking. I know he's not talking to us, but we, will, we want to say we're sorry. Why, here, let's do this. Why don't we set aside a day... And, and he can dress in his royal robes. And he can, we'll all meet in the theater. And, and, and he, we can assemble. And we'll tell him how wonderful he is. And he can give this wonderful speech. And we'll all applaud. And we'll tell him how awesome he is. And then we'll get some food. Perfect. Now, the word that's used in Greek it implies that when they went to blast us, they bribed him. We'll give you a little cash if you'll get us access to Agrippa. Agreed. So the appointed day came. The residents from Tyre and Sidon came down. And Agrippa is in his royalty. Oh, he's dressed in his royal robes. And he's beautiful. And he gathers in the theater. And he's so glad they've assembled. And they all walk in. Oh, king, you look so marvelous today. Oh, you're splendid today. Oh, look at you. And Agrippa loved it. So he stands there. And the crowd gathers. And he begins his speech. And as soon as it begins, oh, the residents of Tyrants, oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that's magnificent. You are amazing. And they continue going, oh, this, this oration is so wonderful. You are so good. And one of them in the crowd yells, you're not a man. You're a God. They got quiet. And all of a sudden, all the rest of them, yes, yes, you're not a man. You're a God. And Agrippa throws his shoulders back. And looks up and the sun is shimmering off of his fine royalty and says, why, I am a God. And the Bible says, as soon as he said it, an angel of the Lord again appeared, struck Agrippa on the spot. Stomach pains! ah, oh! And he fell down. Josephus was a secular historian. He was a Jewish historian. He recorded this incident. Now, he's not a Christian, so he has no motivation to corroborate what Acts says. He's just recording history. I want you to listen to how Josephus, in a work called The Antiquities of the Jews, how he described what happened. By the way, Josephus did not send me a text. I'm reading this from what he said. (laughs) Agrippa put on a garment made of silver and out of a contexture truly wonderful, and he came into the theater early in the morning, on which time the silver of his garment, being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone in a surprising manner. And he was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those who looked on intently upon him. And the presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place and one from another place, Parentheses, not for his good, Parentheses, that he was a god. A severe pain arose in his belly. And he began quite worn out by the pain for five days. And then he departed his life. So who's in control? Herod? No. Go to the next verse, verse 24, number four on your outline. The word advances, but the word of God advanced, increased, and multiplied. The word of God flourished in both Jewish and Gentile territories. Corruption couldn't kill it, enemies couldn't contain it, Herod couldn't control it. And the contrast is clear. Struggle back and forth. Herod, Jesus, God, who's in control? Herod? No. God. So, let me ask you a question. Who's in control of your life? You? You see, some of us, well, I know I'm not right with the Lord, but I'll do it one of these days. Oh, so you're in control. Well, I know I need to receive Jesus as Savior. I know I need to be saved, but well, i got to get some things right first. got to do some things. It's just not the right time. Oh, you're in control. Okay. Well, I, I, I know I'm not living right, but man, I've just, I'm not ready to give this up. Oh, so you're in control. Who is in control? You're ready to do whatever God says, whenever He says, and the way He says it, then He's in control. Father, I thank you today for the opportunity to share your word from Acts chapter 12. And God, as the early church, is trying to wrestle with who's in charge. I know some people here wrestling with the same question. And so, God, it is my prayer today that we have this brief invitation in just a moment. People that maybe even weren't planning to walk down the aisle today, weren't planning to make a decision today, weren't planning to do anything today. But God, help them to realize that you're in charge. And if you've spoken, then now's the time. God, may every one of us submit our will to your will. Where we don't have a chapter 12 struggle in our lives. We know you're in charge and we submit to you. So, God, may that happen today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.